0: My parents went to Greece and I took the entire furniture and I moved it out of the living room and all the neighbors thought we were moving because they see a pile of furniture in the window. (laughs) But what I did is my parents were waiting in Greece. I made a little rehearsal area and I lit the house on fire.
1: Chris Angel is literally a rock star magician that exudes passion, love and joy with everything he does. He's 100% authentic and genuine. He's one of those guys that looks right into your eyes when you're talking to him, and he really listens and absorbs everything you say. He's super present and in tune, and there's no one like Chris, that's for sure. He's unique, one of a kind, living his life loud, and I mean very loud. And this dude ain't dying on the vine. This guy's 100% present and always giving 150% oh, He'll die trying. Fueled by passion and love for what he does, he's definitely living his life with his purpose and with his deepest desire. Now, I just met him, and within seconds, I felt like I've known him my entire life, like a brother. We were both just performing in Indianapolis at the Indianapolis Colts Lucas Oil Stadium for a sold out crowd of 50,000 people for a Jim Say collection concert. Now, Chris did an amazing trick, breaking record. Held by Harry Houdini, how about that? By escaping a straitjacket while suspended upside down with his feet shackled at a hundred feet in the air by his ankles, and he's afraid of heights, by the way. <laughs> and we all watched him aggressively thrash and wiggle himself out of that straitjacket upside down in a matter of seconds or a few minutes. I mean, my contribution was much much safer than that because I was playing the drums. The Jim a Collection Band for three hours featuring Kenny Wayne Shepherd, Mike Mills, Stephen Stills, and Wilson Peter Wolf, and John Cougar Mellencamp. Now, most people know Chris as the rock star, magician, illusionist, and a singer. But I love that he also is a drummer. I want to know more about that. For decades, Chris has been a pop culture phenomenon, creating and starring in television shows, stage shows, a Broadway show, and many television specials in promotional appearances while being a center figure in popularizing magic. He currently has a residency to perform his newest critically acclaimed TV show on a e Mind Freak Live, at Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas, and I'm going to check that out when I get there. All right, Mind Freak was one of the most successful magic TV shows of all time. He also premiered his latest TV show, Chris Angel's Magic, with the stars in October of last year which aired on The CW. Chris holds multiple world records along with six Magician of the Year awards, a Magician of the Decade award, as well as a Magician of the Century award. That's crazy. And of course, he received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2017. But there's more, lots more. He's also a musician that has recorded many albums with his band Angel Dust. And he's an author. And is constantly creating and combining magic with rock and roll. Now, Chris, people say I'm the hardest working man in showbiz, which is pretty spot on, but you're at another level, dude, the highest level imaginable. So, uh, dude, I appreciate you finding time to squeeze in my podcast, dude. Man, welcome.
0: It's awesome to be on, Kenny. And like you said in your amazing speech to set me up in my intro, like, you know, when we first met, obviously I'm very familiar with who you are because of all the incredible success that you exude with your talent on those drums, among other things. And uh, when we met, I just just can feel right away. You know, you feel the camaraderie, the brotherhood, and you know that you know this guy is cut from the same cloth. And I felt that immediately, and uh, that's why I said if if you ever need me to do your podcast. I'm always happy to do it and honored to do it, and thank you so much for thinking of me.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, I when we were hanging out during the Colts kickoff game, I was like, God damn, I feel like I grew up with this guy. I, I felt like we were in bands together or something. You know, it was just, and so I felt a little bit like I would love to have him because I had a I have to film a bunch before I go. I'm about to do a a, a two week speaking tour, and I thought I I would love to have Chris come in, and man, I appreciate it. Now, are you in Vegas right now? Is that where you...
0: Yes, I'm at my home in Vegas, actually, in my office. And I do uh, five shows a week over at Planet Hollywood with my show Mind Free. And uh, so tonight I'll be doing that at seven o'clock. And I've been so blessed to be able to do uh, almost... What do I have? Almost 7,000 shows in Vegas. And Mind Free, out of 500 shows, is the number one best-selling residency show in Las Vegas. So. I've worked really hard, my incredible cast and crew, nothing came easy. We're just very honored and humbled to do what we love, to hear the audience every night. You know, it never gets old. We're always listening to the audience, trying to evolve and transform and make it better for the audience as an experience and and something hopefully that will be very memorable for them. Okay, I got to ask you, well, first of all, how many people are back behind the scenes and on stage? Oh, there's a lot. I would say if I had to take a guess off the top of my head, I would say almost 40. Wow, 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 wow. And that's a small production because, you know, I own the production. So I there's show and business, but without the business, there's no show. And so I perform and I can make a little money or I can make a lot of money and I'm going to spend the same amount of time. So I choose to be fiscally responsible, give people the most incredible entertainment they can have in the world, but I also try to make it this responsible. I'm not an artist that just spends money and, and doesn't think about like what the operating expenses are and, and how do we give people the ultimate experience, but be able to do it for many, many years to come.
1: I read that your dad had like a donut shop. I mean, did you, was that the type of thing, you know, obviously your dad worked his butt off, it was a family business, did all you, you and your brothers and sisters, all work at the shop, and you learned a lot of these skills, how to treat people, how to serve people, how to run a business. Did you kind of learn that from
0: him? 100%. My dad was the most amazing man that I've ever met. You know, he always said, if you want to understand a business, you have to be the dishwasher, you have to be the server, you have to be the cook, you have to be the owner, you have to be everything. And I really took that advice as sound advice. You know, my dad always told me, If you want to be successful, hang out with people doing what you want to do, that you want to be successful at, that are successful. Let it rub off on you. If you hang out with shit, you start to smell like it. You know, I never went to college. I took the short bus in school. I wasn't very smart. Still, I'm not. But I uh, put that sweat equity in. And my dad always instilled in me that, you know, anything is possible. If you believe in something and you're willing to work for it, you put that effort in. It's achievable, maybe not on your timetable, but it absolutely can be uh, something that you can you can achieve. The other thing my dad is crazy. My dad was a very like streetwise guy. Like he did this, like I wanted to play the drums. And my brothers, my older brothers played the guitar and uh, I think the keyboard. I wanted to play the drums. So I my dad bought me this like Mickey Mouse 3 piece drums that I was six years old. I love the drums because the pedal, the bass pedal, because I thought it reminded me of a gas pedal, a car, because I was also obsessed with cars. And so I got this drum set. I was playing it. Then he got a teacher for me and I studied and then the teacher said he needs like a real drum set. So my dad, instead of just like getting rid of it, he puts it in the paper. He sells it for more money than he paid for it. Then he's like, oh, there's a music business here. So that's how I really learned business because my dad, we had at one time, you won't believe this, Kenny, but we had probably 35 to 40 different drum sets in our home. We had cymbal, <laughs> accessory. We actually made our own drum set that we were then selling like a three piece kit, but we had Pearl, Ludwig, Slingerland. Then my brother evolved that years later. Into a music store, which I named and came up the logo called Monster Music in Levittown, New York on Hempstead Turnpike. So you never know how something is going to affect you and really be part of your future. But that was really my college when my dad used to make me sell drums as I'm talking 12, 13, 14 as a teenager, bring the drum set, load it in the car, get the cash, and really learn about wheeling and dealing and kind of Be likable and have personable skills and all that stuff.
1: Dude, that is so badass. I mean, that's it. You just said so much. Uh, You know, compliment to you, though, this all resonated in you, which meant it was already there in you, but your dad was giving you all this information. Because, you know, you could have been the kid like, ah, drums, whatever. And you answered my question. I was going to say, what came first, music or magic? But obviously, music came first. Well, believe
0: it or not, I started drums when I was six. But at six as well, true story, my amazing Aunt Stella taught me my first car trick, which I loved magic. But when I was 10 or 11, I got a magic kit under the Christmas tree. And then that really got me bitten with the magic bug. And I tried to make it in music, dude, for years. And I had development deals with, you know, Jason Flom from Lava. He was at Atlantic. Craig Kalman, Jim Lewis from Polygram. I had all types of things happen, but I just didn't have, I wasn't ready at the time. I wasn't talented in being able to do what I needed to do at that time, which was the eighties. I mean, I played out in clubs. I played like limelight. I used to play the drums. But then I was like, I wanted to be in the front and I wanted to do magic and music. And that was kind of like a rock, uh, uh, like, a, like a, ma- a rock magic show. Like that, that was kind of a rock and roll magic show. It just never, never happened for me. I had development deals and it was such a blessing because I wanted it so bad, like I could taste it and I played, you know, like these really limelight, old Webster Hall, all these clubs, and I did magic and music, all these crazy things. But it was a blessing because, you know, for me, you're very gifted in what you do and in your instrument and you're able to be a leader in that and be able to play different types of music And really be a very talented drummer, where you know you can always find work. But with the type of music I was doing, I wasn't a talented musician. I was a guy that was—I had the image, I had the the spectacle. But at the time, I wasn't ready as a vocalist and stuff. Now I'm much better. I, I could still, you know, I still do songs, write songs. I do all the music in the show. But I realized that. The music business, unless you're established like you are, is such a fickle business. And now the record companies kind of you know, imploded because of the internet. And so now record companies do 360 deals and all these crazy things. So Jason Flom gave me the best advice. He said, Chris, there are people in Las Vegas that have been doing the same act for 50 years, making billions of dollars. Do that and then write the music for that. Get off with the music by creating the music for your show, but do the magic. And, and I did that eventually, and, and I'm still doing it today.
1: Jason is a rock star at what he does. He sees things that other people don't see. That's brilliant. And you know, you touched on something that you and I are where we are because we took whatever talent we had, and we had this passion to do what we want to do. And when you have passion, take whatever talent you have, and you work your butt off, and you self-discipline, you persevere because you want to do it, because you have this passion, you will eventually succeed. We're these guys that are like unstoppable, undeniable, and 100% authentic. You're not going to stop us because
0: this is what we got to do. Tenacity, stick to perseverance. Like if I did succeed on this level, really anyone can do it. I'm a testament to it. But you got to put that sweat equity in. You can't talk about it. The actions people added in those words. I learned so much more from failure than I did from success.
1: Oh, man. That's, you know, all the great quarterbacks, you know, I always say Tom Brady, it doesn't matter, Mahomes, when they get sacked, they're immediately going, okay, we can't do that. We're going to do that. You know, they're always achieving success from the things that didn't work out for them. You know, a mistake, fumble, you know, it's just amazing. So how did you end up in Vegas from like Long Island?
0: Vegas was the magic capital of the world. There were more magicians and more magic shows here per square foot than anywhere else in the world. And so I came out to Vegas in the 90s. I actually worked for Steve Wynn for a short time. And then I realized that this was the place to be. But I needed a vehicle to be here. And so... I had a show called Mind Freak on Broadway in 43rd that I didn't have any managers. I sold it myself right after 9-11, the $360,000 loan out against my mom's house. And then a 50000 business revolving credit line, I $410,000 to put on a show for 145 people in the WWE banquet room that I converted into the underground theater. I had some success with that. I was supposed to do 12 weeks. And I ended up doing, uh, what was it, uh, 14 months. And I turned that by myself without a manager. I turned that into three television specials. One was called Free. What was that on? That was on um, AE. Oh, uh, That wasn't AE yet. That was uh, a special on uh, ABC Family. And then I did another TV special on sci fi. Then I went to Japan and I did a two hour live special out there. And then when I came back, I was able to get this television series on A&E. And I thought the ultimate place to do it was Vegas. And that's when I came out to Vegas in 2004, I believe. And I started shooting. And in 2005, Mind Freak on A&E came out. And it was an enormous success to this day. It's still the number one primetime magic series of all time. Yeah, you know, I have about what do I have? Uh, it's, I think it's just about 6 billion views like worldwide. It's it's pretty insane. And that's what really set up the live show. Then I, I use one thing as an opportunity to help launch the next project. And I still do that to this day. I'm working on so many different projects and I always use one to help the other. And it's been such a blessing. But what you put in is what you get out. If you don't put the effort in, it doesn't happen.
1: But, you know, you've, so passionate about what you do. On many levels, you love dealing with people. You have what your dad had, you know, that like, oh, well, oh, drum kid, oh, let's do that. And then that's cool. And then from that, you go to that. And
0: then... Yes, deeper. I am not the most talented at what I do. What I am is the hardest working. You'll never meet yes! another uh, performer. You know, like, I will die before I give up. Like, I'm studying right now MMA. That's my thing. I trained with two-time UFC heavyweight champion, Frank, you know, the guy's a beast, you know, and uh, he has more submissions and he's given more broken bones to anyone in the UFC heavyweight division. And yesterday I had Anthony Pettis, who's the lightweight champion of the UFC, and, and I sparred with him yesterday. I have a goal in mind. I have a lot of learning to do, but, you know, I'm relentless. And my work ethic, outperforms my talent for anything I ever do. Dude, I'm the same guy. Dude. You're insanely talented. Come on. <laughs> you
1: yeah, but when I was 18, the day I graduated high school and everybody's going to college, I was going to college to study music. I was practicing eight hours a day, seven days a week. I tell my mom, you know, people be calling me, hey, let's party, man, with Kenny. It's the summer. We just graduated high school. I'm like, nope, seven days a week, eight hours a day. That was the beginning of Pedal to the Metal. Dude, I relate to you so much. Oh, my God.
0: That's the same thing with me. I, I didn't even go to my prom. Yeah. I didn't even go. My friends would come to my house and I took the, my parents went to Greece and I took the entire furniture and I moved it out of the living room. And all the neighbors thought we were moving because they see a pile of furniture in the window. <laughs> but what I did is my parents were away in Greece. I made a little rehearsal area and I lit the house on fire. The carpet went up in flames. There was so much uh, smoke damage in the house when my parents came back. We had to like redo everything. But that's how crazy. And my friends would come by, I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm cool. Because I'm, I had something in my mind. When I woke up, that's what I thought about. When I went to bed, that's what I thought about. And to this day, the journey, as Bill of Coin, Kisses Manager, Billy Idol, Billy Squire once said to me when I was struggling. He said, uh, I was sitting and I have a picture of this sitting next to a dumpster in California. Just got done doing a showcase and I was depressed. And he said, what's the matter? And I said, you know, I put all my eggs in one basket, Bill. I don't know what the hell is going to happen. And he said, the journey is far greater than the destination. He's like, one day you'll understand that. He said, this is the best time of your life. And I was like, how can you say that? I'm like, you know. on day with 220,000 miles on it. Every time I hit the gas carbon monoxide comes in the car, <laughs> that's like, it's a disaster. And he says, one day you'll miss these days because you will make it. I know you will make it. And the thing is, it is so much more difficult to remain number one, the most relevant at your craft then to get there once you get there that journey is easier it's exciting you don't know what's going to happen it's unexpected but once you're there and you get a taste of money and you get a taste of success it's very easy to become complacent and for me i see it in fighters all the time i don't believe my own hype i don't watch that stuff i have to be at the top of my game and it's harder now my work ethic is more commitment now than it was when I was trying to make it. It's crazy.
1: Dude, you're speaking my language. We were doing 12-hour rehearsals with Earth Day for that show. I am a pit bull. I'm exactly like you. I don't fuck around. I am focused. I am every song, every note. I write every
0: note out. You do the charts, right? You do the actual, like, on your mute reading. It's crazy.
1: Every single note. I mean, every fill, everything. I know who has to tune the guitars. I know when to count off. I have a click for everything. I'm flipping with my
0: foot. It's insane. What you do is, I'm in awe of that because I didn't have that talent in the drums. I was really good when I was 14. I was like really a good drummer, but I didn't have that passion for it. And I remember I had this, this drum teacher. His name was Mike Columbo. He was in a, uh, a band like the Straight Cats, what kind a of rockabilly band. I was doing something. He says, do you know what you're playing? And I said, no. And he says, well, don't you want to know what you're playing as opposed to playing it? He's like, you're doing a paradiddle right now. He's like, let's start reading music and play the music. wasn't my gig. And the fact that you do that and you write that, because I saw you, you're sitting at the iPad and you're just like looking and you're literally playing to what you're reading. Well, you know,
1: like, like, for example, so. Like Sammy Hagar, I just did a gig with Sammy Hagar. I love His Sammy. Band Cir- yeah, I know, who doesn't? So I had a 90-minute rehearsal. We're playing Van Halen songs. So every note that Alex played, why wouldn't I play every note that Alex played? It was perfect. That's just like when I did rock and roll with Ann Wilson, I played every note that, that John Bonham did because why would I do anything different? So anyway, Sammy turned around at one point and goes, Damn! How do you read music and make it sound like you're not reading? I said, oh, that took about 30 years, 30 years. But here's the deal. So like when I got off the Joe Satriani tour recently, I had 80 songs for five different things. I can't remember 80 songs, not to mention at the rehearsals, they're changing everything. So I learned how to write it down. And then you're going to love this. It was doing a Melissa Etheridge tour. I only had nine hours to learn a three-hour show because I was so friggin' busy. So I'd stay up at night till three in the morning after my sessions and write every note out. We rehearsed. It took me about three weeks to memorize the show. While I was on the show, I was reading. She turned around one night in front of 15,000 people and went real nice because she's an incredible person. She goes, I can tell when you're reading. This is what I did. I said, that's not good. So I learned how to step out of myself and watch myself and hear myself as if I was the producer, as if I was in the audience. I'd be going like, is that drummer sound like he's reading? And if I did sound like that, I went, you can't do that. You've got to always sound like it's live and you're in flow and you're not reading. Because think about this. If you're reading, let's say that's 20% of your brain is going into reading. Well, that's 20% that's not in flow, not performing. So I went. You gotta always be a hundred percent in flow, and somehow read on top of that. Well, it's like being an
0: actor. You can't sound like you're reading the script in your mind. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Oh my god! Listen, you're blowing my mind. You're doing this cage fighting stuff. Oh my god! All right. So you were always into martial arts, right?
0: I have been. Yeah, I I used to uh, do a few styles. Not really very disciplined in it, but I always loved it since I was. A kid.
1: All right. So your show, I mean, obviously, to do what you do, after I saw you do what you did, and I've seen videos of you, you gotta be physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually healthy. You've gotta be to pull that shit off like that. All of that. It's all those four things.
0: You know how I do it? You know how I do it? Because I could have a really shitty day. I could feel like I don't really wanna do the show. I'm sure you felt that way many times, because it becomes a job. You feel like a hamster in a wheel. But this is what I think about two things. One, this audience I have in the room, in the history of the rest of the world, I will never have them in the same room again. This is the one time I'm going to have every single person that's together tonight in the same room, in the history of the world. That's a huge responsibility. Secondly, I'm Christopher now. When I go on stage and that happens, I become Chris Angel. And it's a switch for me. And because I've done so many, thousands and thousands and thousands of shows, if I had to prepare like I did the first time I went on stage, I would need 10 hours a day. Like, you can sue me. I literally show up. I get a massage for 20 minutes at 5.30, excuse me, 6 o'clock. And then at I, 6.30, I have my cardio. My first, I break my fast because I fast for 20 hours a day. You do Every day? Every, every day. day. Uh, well, basically at least six days a week. And so I, I have this drink, which is liquor 43, two ounces and two ounces of espresso, cold espresso. It's my favorite drink. It's over ice. It wakes me up. It gives me some sugar. And then I do the show at seven. I usually have a meet and greet or whatever. And I come home and I eat dinner. I try to keep like in a mental state that allows me to turn that on and allow me to not have to, because, you know, Dee Schneider saw my show and we were hanging out before the show because I know you. I, you I love David. I love him. And he's from Long Island so much. Yeah, I know, I know. We've known each other since, what, uh, the 90s, I think. Yeah. When he did Strangeland or whatever that movie he did was. Yeah. You know, Dee's sitting there talking to me and he's like, you got to be on stage now. And I said, yeah, well, you know, you get your seats and then I'll go on stage. He's like, he said, I don't know how you do this. He said, before I used to do the show, I was a mania like all this aggression. And, all, and I, I said, for me, it's a switch I turn on because I do it so often. For him, it was like this. He couldn't be around people. He would be aggressive. Maybe I shouldn't say it that way. Not aggressive physically, but you know, he would be pumped up and hyped up. For me, I, I don't know. I just, it's just different because I do it five days a week. I was doing 500 shows a year. When we were at the coach
1: stadium, that's how I feel. I mean, Everyone's like, whoa, you're so chill. I went, Cause I know what I have to do, I know I'm gonna execute. They said, "Don't you get nervous?" No, I just get serious. Once I get up there, it's like that switch flips, and it's like. But you have a
0: smile on your face. Oh yeah, that's 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 me. And by the way, yeah, the band, everybody sounded amazing. Now I know, obviously, Jim being a friend, I know he has a couple of dollars and he can afford creme de la creme. So he has the greatest musicians, which is a testament to you because he can afford anybody. And he has the greatest mixer. And when you were doing uh, was it Comfortably Numb, Pink Floyd? It sounded like the album. Like it was, and they brought out the guitar. That solo, oh my God, that dude is sick.
1: Kenny Wayne Shepard, I write every note out. I have a click because that tempo it's either sixty-one or sixty. No, it's sixty-four beats a I minute. Mean, that's so slow. And the last thing I want to do is not nail that tempo because that song they picked that tempo for a reason. And then eventually I turn the click off with my foot. But I'm trying to hold that real slow. You feel
0: people trying to get out of the groove, not the
1: bass player. Well, and not the guitar players. That band plays incredibly. They're all locked in. That's the worst thing is when somebody's rushing and I'm trying to hold it. That band everybody plays impeccable time and feel. So what we did with that song, Kenny tries to play the solo the way it is, and then the back half of that solo, we explode. We go into whatever. Yeah. And it's it sets it up. But so that's that to do anything authentically is very, very difficult. It's the difference between sounding like a Holiday Inn band or the band that should be at Madison Square Garden?
0: Honestly, my only regret was is that I didn't get out there fast enough and I missed some of the show because I got done doing this thing and I had to, like, change and and so that was my only regret. But I know you guys are going to do this again. You did it in Vegas.
1: Oh, we're going to, you got to come out if, if you can. Absolutely. That was, you know, Jesus. Do you remember the Someone teach you your first magic trick or what was in that Christmas box?
0: Well, it was my Aunt Stella when I was six. But then when I was 11 years old, I got the kit and I started just playing around with it. I would go to the magic shop all the time, drive them crazy. They would show me the trick that I bought. And then I befriended this guy who was uh, like an older uh, guy, older than me, but uh, like a cool uh, guy. His name was Scott Ferrante. He still performs on Long Island and He's a a friend of mine, and, and he was very kind and trying to help me give me lessons. At the time, we took a few lessons. And, you know, when you're obsessed with something, you consume yourself with it. And that's all you can think about. And you become it. You know what I mean? So what I lacked in knowledge, I made up with being curious and asking a million questions, going to every library I could because there was no Google. I went to the Google at the time, which is the card catalog, you know, got that book from the card catalog and took it home. And some of which I never returned. (laughs) I still have it. That's awesome. You
1: would tell me when we were in the uh, up there in one of the boxes, you said something like at one point in Vegas you were doing or one year you did like something like 500 performances in a year. That's almost like two a day. I was doing two a day. That's what I was doing. Dude, so you're not doing that now, are you?
0: No, no. I, well, sometimes I have to do two a day. But I mean, you're not doing 500 shows a year. No, no, I, I, I've slowed down. I, so I think I'm around, depends if I tour, because I, I, yeah. I also do one-nighters when I tour. But if I don't do the one-nighters, I'm about 200 right now. I'm 55, I'm almost 56. I have three children. My one kid went through hell with pediatric cancer, Johnny for six plus years of it. So it kind of changes your perspective. Yeah. And like, I'm an old dad. You know, I have a 20 month year old daughter, Lucia. I have a four year old boy, Christos. And then Johnny Christopher, who's, who's nine, who we went through hell. So I try to like take more breaks. I try to, my whole thing about life is love, light, and positivity and to create experiences, not necessarily buy materialistic things, but spend the money in creating memories. That's what my kids are going to remember because my dad passed on and that's what I remember about my dad and how awesome he was. So my whole thing is, let me create these amazing experiences as they grow up that when I'm no longer here, that they'll reflect upon and hopefully I'll give them some solid, good life lesson advice that they'll take with them and basically be wonderful, positive, loving people that are happy that's the most important thing. It's not money doesn't make you happy. I see lots of people that have money and they're miserable. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, you know, the ripple effect of your joy, your happiness, your love will
0: affect everybody around you. I try to make it infectious because you know what? For me, and I don't put my faith on anyone, but we live in a great country where we can believe what we wish. But God is so real to me. And without God, I'm nothing. And so For me, it's more about looking at those teachings and lessons as I get older with my children. And, you know, look, I'm not a saint in any way. I I do lots of things wrong, but my goal is to be the best artist I can be and the best human being I can be. And that is what I work towards every day. That's why charity is so important. That's why being down to earth and not believing the bullshit that I hear, whether good, bad, or indifferent, I know who I am. These people don't know me, whether for the better or for the worse. That's really what I try to do now and try to create those experiences so that it fuels me to want to be there, you know, for, for my daughter. So she'll never meet a guy like I was when I was a teenager. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, man, you are saying all the things I believe in. It's, it's amazing. We've learned the same things in our own path. And, you know, I don't believe in mistakes or failures. There's just events that got us where we are, you know. Because if I say, you know, I can tell you're like me, man. You can be really hard on yourself. So now that I'm a little bit older, I start to go like, instead of saying you've effing up or, you know, you, you get hard on yourself, I go like, hey, dude, chill. You're going to get this because you always do. Now, the difference is when you say you, you fucked up, it reminds you of all the time that you heard that as a little kid and it crushed you. So instead of doing that, I don't want to feel those feelings. So I go like, hey, dude, just like Tom Brady and Mahomes, these guys that get sacked, they just push it away. You reject, reject negativity. And you think about, I can get this, but with a positive head.
0: Well, the past doesn't define you.
1: Yeah. It just helps you get where you're going. I mean, dude, okay, you just made me think.
0: (laughs) And I can't believe you're 70, by the way. I know. Isn't that crazy? That's the craziest thing to me. That's that's crazy. That's that's a mind free, an illusion.
1: <laughs> Isn't that weird? I mean, I don't feel like I'm 70. It's like That's why. I mean, my blood work I get blood work every year and it's just like I'm in my twenties. You know, it's just weird. Dude, you gotta tell me about this crazy thing you did. Twenty-four hours in like a, a tank, like a telephone booth downtown at Times Square. And then you you're twenty-four hours in water, breathing through I think a hose or a tube. And then you do an act when you come out, like you disappear and you're shackled up.
0: I mean, dude. I was the first guy, I think, on record to spend 24 hours underwater. The first hour I was upside down and I had 20 pounds of chains and leg irons as an homage to Houdini. And this was live on Good Morning America. Then the remaining 23 hours I was right side up, but I still had to have all this weight on me. So I spent 24 hours. I was willing to die in there because I wanted to succeed so badly that I said, the only way I'm, I'm coming out of here is under my free will or in a body bag, but I'm not going to fail doing this. And it got a lot of attention at five in the morning. I remember somebody brought, I think it was the New York Post, and I'm on the cover of it and they're showing it to me through the glass and it freaked me out. I was so excited. And then I was live on Good Morning America to do my escape at the end. But I've done a lot of crazy things. I broke the record. I hung for six hours by six fish hooks in the middle of Times Square with no painkillers, nothing. Then I went, I was the first person I ever hanged by four fish hooks from a helicopter with nothing. And I flew a uh, thousand feet above the Valley of Fire here in Vegas. I've done a lot of really, I floated above the Luxor Pyramid 550 feet. And it's not like CGI. It's like I did this stuff practically. Obviously, I didn't really levitate on there. There was an illusion to it. But the audience or the, the spectators down below couldn't see how it was working. So we created like the perfect illusion for that time. But I've done a lot of, I've risked my life a lot of times, including what I just did, you know, for charity with Jim Ursay. And, and that was the upside down straight jacket, which Houdini used to take five minutes to escape from at a lot lower height. And I was up over 100 feet and was in a regulation straight jacket. I escaped in, I think it was like 29 or 30 seconds. And then I basically free fall, did like a little free fall down, probably about 85 feet and then uh, came to the ground. And anything that can go wrong eventually does go wrong. So it's not something that I, I enjoy doing because of my children and I want to be around for them, but it's something I did because of the cause and Our foundation, the Johnny Christopher Children's Charitable Foundation, we raise millions of dollars. And the difference between this foundation and any other one, for the most part, is that every single cent that we raise goes to these kids. And so we've donated in the last, what, seven months, well over a million dollars. And then I'm having this function December 18th, which I think you might be attending.
1: Oh, yeah, I want to be there. I want to be there.
0: But we have a bunch of, you know, and uh, Zander from Chief Trick will be doing a set and Amy and uh, from Fast the Pussycat and Phil from L.A. Guns, uh, Sebastian Bach, former singer of Skid Row. And,
1: uh, oh, I know all these guys. Uh, a
0: winger, and uh, yeah. I think D's coming down. And uh, last year, Paul Stanley at their front. So we auction off guitars. We raise money. It's around Christmas time. It's a beautiful thing. And try to raise a lot of money. I pay for all the expenses out of my pocket. So hopefully we can continue to raise money for these kids that are battling for their lives. It's a horrible situation to see and I live it.
1: Dude, oh my god. Well, I definitely want to be there. I already marked it on my calendar. I called the Brent Woods. I texted him, dude.
0: He's been the direct th- director.
1: Yeah, immediately I said, "Brent, I got to be there." <laughs>
0: gotcha. I told him. What did he say?
1: He said, "Yeah."
0: Yeah. Because and you I mean, know, who was, George, you know, George Lynch is coming. He's going to come by, and then uh, Rudy Sarzo, Sarzo, bass player. He's an amazing bass player. Right, White Snake. Uh, what did he do? A uh, Quiet Riot. Quiet Riot was uh, his. Uh, Ozzy, he, he, he was Ozzy, non- yeah. And then uh, Phil, I can never say He's, he's a friend of mine. Suze, he's a bass player too. Phil, uh, he wrote "Shot in the Dark." Yeah, in um, Ozzy's.
1: Oh, Su- oh Phil, Su- 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 Susan, 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 yeah. Great yeah, yeah, guy. great guy. Awesome, dude. Yeah. Sh- talking about that, your band Angel Dust. Tell me about that whole thing. I mean, you ended up making like five albums or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, and a lot of music I used in my show. Oh, that's that's yeah. Incredible. And I have new, I have new stuff that I recorded with uh, an artist. His name is Clayton, but he his name his you know band name is Selblala, but he does programming, producing, and. He's in the whole kind of electronic scene and dubstep and that type of music. And we were uh, working together. We wrote a Linkin Park record before Linkin Park came out in 1993 or four. And it was too ahead of its time, honestly. When Linkin Park came out, we were like, holy shit, that is our sound!" Like I could play it. You can, uh, you know, send you some tracks. It's crazy. But I love music. Chenille, my better half, is an incredible musician. She sings a couple of songs that I produced and and wrote with her in the show. And uh, she's just an amazing singer. I love being around music. You know, music can bring you back instantaneously to when you were a kid and it could just set the tone and you could escape reality with music. It's an illusion, you know, and. And so um, for me, I'm just such a and I have such a diverse, diverse, eclectic taste in music. I can listen to Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. Then I can listen to Billy Joe and John Cougar, Mellencamp. Uh, By the way, I watched a documentary that you were on about Jack and Diane and about that drum fill that you came up with that really was a big part of that song. But I was so disappointed. No disrespect to John, but as a fan, and when I heard that song, he did the whole thing acoustic. And I was waiting for it. I'm like, here it comes. Here it comes. I guess it's not coming. <laughs> Dude,
1: I, I went to, I, I went to see him play at the Hollywood Bowl. It was so cool to see those songs that I'd recorded and had performed for, you know, 17 years with him. And we get the Jack and Diane and they skip the drum solo. I'm like, what? And the audience was looking at me like, here it comes, Kenny. We're going to drum with you. And then went right by it. And we're like, what? That'd be like skipping that drum fill that Phil Collins did in, in the air tonight. It's like, go, 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 go. You're like, yeah,
0: no. what? And the, and, the, and the crazy thing is you moved over, I think, to Jim Ursay's box, right? I don't know if he was there. No, I, I was off the drum set while he did that. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the day of the game. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was in Jim's box, yes. Because I saw you and that part was coming up because they played it and the mascot did the drum part. You were watching me laugh. I was was laughing
1: because I I was looking,
0: (laughs) I wanted to see if a drummer could resist, especially that they created the part. Would he actually air drum that or he just sit there and be cool, it? What would you have done if, what did you do? Kind of laugh, right? I laughed because I was laughing
1: at I, instead of air drumming. I was laughing at the mascot doing it. I thought that was hilarious. Apparently, they they had me on Fox News, you know, national news. And when they came in on me, they showed me with Melan Camp at the Ursay thing. Then they cut to me in the box, and of course, I was texting. <laughs> I wish was, was, they. I was Hopefully, Let it me wasn't know. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Chris, what's up, man? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, dude, that is, uh, <laughs> I'm really excited. I can't wait till this December 18th.
0: Well, you're welcome to come at any time you want. I plan on Hollywood, Sea Mind free Tang. I do it Wednesday through Sunday at seven o'clock and all the people watching and listening to this now, uh, I'm so grateful for the support. And if you're ever in Vegas and you want to have an experience that you can never have anywhere else in the world, I'd like to invite you personally to see Mind free because We have a tornado in the show, like literally I'm doing the trade jacket and I'm the nucleus of a tornado where winds, real winds and debris and ships flying around and the entire audience is immersed in it. They're not watching me do it. They're in the storm. There's so many different things like that. There's a blizzard that happens. You know, I let feet fly around and it's just like the most iconic, my greatest hits, if you will, for lack of a better term. I do every night. So people see the stuff that I did on TV that they're like, there's no way. That's bullshit. That's trick photography. That's CGI. That's a crane. That's how he's levitating. It's a crane, honey. And then they see in full light and they're just like, uh, and then I pick somebody up and I fly away with them. So you get stuff like that. Like, real. And then tons of, like, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons love the show because it's very theatrical, tons of effects. As a matter of fact, Paul, originally when they were going out to kiss asked me if I was interested in getting involved and in help directing their show. And wow. I was opening up my show at the time. So I wasn't able to, but they sent me their last residency in Las Vegas. And I watched it for about a week and I gave a bunch of notes and stuff. And then the guy they got to do it, they used uh, a lot of the stuff that I suggested And their show was awesome, but they love theatricality. And I think my show embodies that.
1: Dude, that makes it looks like, like circus soleil on steroids. I can't wait. That's incredible. So ideas are constantly going through your head all the I time. Can't sleep.
0: That's my biggest okay. problem.
1: That's great though. I don't sleep good either. I sleep two hours, wake up, sleep two hours, wake up, sleep an exactly. hour, wake up.
0: Do you have a pad and paper next to your bed? Uh yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah and, that's and, what and I do. Oh, I get up that's shit. great. You know, Sammy's the same way Hagar. He's like, what well, he's great at, it, it sounds like, you know, you're great at. I do the same thing. You come up with an idea, but we know how to get it executed. And we know that we can. You can't set it and forget it. You were talking about, you know, the worst thing, like you said, it's hard to become successful, way harder to stay successful. You can't set it and forget it. I always say what got me where I am, which was a shitload of work and discipline, is I still am doing that today. At my age, it's the same work ethic. I spent, you know, a gazillion hours yesterday and the day before preparing for even this and preparing for the speech tour I'm going on and preparing for something else. There's no complaining. It's just a, this is what you do to get what you want. It's not over. It's just you keep going until it's time to go. <laughs> you know, it's just that's what it is. I think that's awesome. man. you know what? I, I, I read this incredible thing. I mean, your show, you have actually I mean, this is like Newsweek and Businessweek. They talk about you've brought millions and millions of dollars into the local economy in Las Vegas. I mean, you are putting food
0: on people's tables. Yeah, and you generate my, my show is the, incredible. is, is uh, and again, I, I don't say this conceitedly. I say this confidently because I put forth the effort to be able to say this. So my show is basically the number one best-selling, not magic show, show in Vegas as far as a residency show. I'm not comparing myself to Aerosmith that comes in and does, you know, three performances in two months or whatever they would do. And they're playing so much bigger. I'm talking about like every night, as many shows as I do. And so um, we bring in about $150 million a year in direct ticket sales, indirect room stays, food, gambling, merchandise. Yeah. So it's a significant number back in the day, I made like maybe $28,000 a year. So, and then I opened up that little show on Broadway 43rd at the WWE in 2001. And that show I had to make like, I think it was $28,000 a week to pay my bills. And somebody that didn't make 28 grand a year, it was nerve wracking, but I was able to do it. Now the numbers are much greater, but it's just extra numbers. You have to be fiscally responsible and disciplined. And no matter what business you want to start, anyone that's watching this, you got to reverse engineer. you got to look at, okay, what is this going to ultimately cost me? What is it going to cost me? And that's not only for the product or the service I'm providing or the marketing and the merchandise, whatever it is, but I have to also think about, you know, what is the profit margin? Is it something that could be competitive in the real world? You have to be smart about this stuff. And I always say to people, when I used to come up with an illusion, I learned a valuable lesson. I came up with this illusion. I ran off at the time. I had no money and we got this thing built and it wasn't what I wanted. I was like, oh, I wish I did this. I wish I did this. And I jumped into the fire without being prepared. And so what I do now is I garbage bag test things. I do a little prototype. If I have an idea for an illusion, I make a little. Drawing a doodle of it, then we'll work it out. Then we'll build a little model. Then we'll use spit and glue with cardboard and and make a full scale thing to look at it. And so I always suggest to do things as inexpensively as possible as a proof of concept. Whether you have a billion dollars or you have one dollar, because that will tell you and give you so many questions. You'll answer things, and it will evolve and transform the idea tremendously i have a couple of projects i'm working on right now like a rock club and you know some other things and i just i talk about it think about it let it simmer come up with stuff i'm not impulsive i used to be impulsive and i learned the valuable experience of not being that way trying to be passionate but really be methodical with how you approach an idea or a dream
1: that's incredible But you also have a team of people. You have people that you can talk to to get it executed, right? Oh, I
0: I have a big team. I have a 60,000 square foot studio that is like a very sophisticated technological laboratory where I can do anything from shoot video to edit to stop motion to whatever I want to do with literally um, 3D and then I also have a full fabrication shop. I have a soundstage, which Aerosmith was actually going to use before Stephen us <laughs> went into rehab two days before. They already sent their gear to my place. But they, I let them, was letting them use it to rehearse their Vegas residency. So I have a big soundstage area. And then I have my merchandising. It's Everything is in two buildings. Each building is 30,000 square feet. And it's, it's basically my, my studio where I can create whatever's in my brain and I can bring it to life and try to keep things fresh.
1: Very cool, man. You never had a plan B, did you? It was magic, music. I put kind
0: of all my eggs in one basket. I I really did. I didn't really, I hated doing private shows. Like when I, I got hired to do a lot of like, you know, I used to do when I was a kid, I used to do school shows. I would do birthday parties. I would do mar mitzvahs. I would do corporate events. I mean, I, I played in S and M clubs. I done a lot of different things, and I never was into it because I always felt like I would walk in and I couldn't really do anything substantial because I I didn't know the circumstances I'd be working in. And with magic, it matters. It's not like you bring a three piece kit and you're like, okay, set up in the corner and you just gonna put your People stand around you. It's okay, but for me, it becomes more challenging technically to do that. So to have a residency show, which was my dream, to have a television series, which was my dream. I just put all my eggs in one basket, which, by the way, I would never recommend to do. Always have a plan B, but I was just that type of person, you know.
1: Me too, dude. There was never a plan B. Never a plan B. It's like, this is it. Do or die. You don't know, have this saying, I'll never be as great as I want to be, but I'm willing to spend my entire life trying to be as great as I can be. It's just.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. Just trying to always score touchdowns. I mean, those great running backs don't get touchdowns every time, but they spend their whole life trying because they love it. Yeah. So one more thing, dude. Is there anything that you haven't done that you really, in your heart, you want to do? Is there something you're going like, I'm going to do this, blah, 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 whatever that is?
0: Right now, I have about seven different projects. Two of them are with the subject matter that people know me for. And a lot of them are things that have nothing to do with what people know me for. My whole thing is performing my show is a blessing, but it's a job. Going there and doing that show is a job. Yes, I enjoy it. Sometimes I hate it, but I'm grateful to be able to do it. And when I'm on stage and I'm performing, I love it. It's getting to that place. But what I love doing more than anything is creating. I'm a creative soul. I had the honor of working with the most prolific director in the entertainment field. His name was Franco Dragone. He passed away uh, recently, tragically. But he created the whole look, feel, everything that is Cirque du Soleil. He created that. His show that he directed was Cirque du Soleil. Oh, there, Hidam. The greatest Serp shows in their portfolio and their most successful financially are only his shows. And then he also did Celine D on a new day when they opened up the Coliseum. I had the honor of working with him uh, a couple of times, but we did a show together where I was directing and he was, we were partners and he was the artistic director. We were going to do three shows, three more shows together, but I learned so much from Franco. Like I had a once in a lifetime experience. The knowledge that I gained from this man as a wonderful friend, but as this epic director of live entertainment, there's no one, no one in the world that that can fill his shoes. And I just was so blessed to be it, that he respected my art and what I created enough to want to partner up with me and share those things with me. And so for me, um, I just love creating. I love creating. I'll create a show. I'll create a TV show. I'll create a gourmet Italian ice. I'll create a liquor. Whatever it is, I'm always down to create. Could be anything. I love it. Music, you know, anything.
1: That's great, man. Well, you're going to just create until it's time to go or, you know, you're gone. That's so cool. Man, thank you. If I could hug you, I'd hug you, but I can't.
0: Oh, so I'm, I'm going I'm
1: gonna, I'm gonna to try to get to uh, Vegas. Yeah, come out. I'm going to try before the 18th of December, but I'm definitely coming there on the 18th. I'm going to call Brent up again today and say, dude, you know, I got to play with at least 3,000 of the bands. Chris, man, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you perform.
0: Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. And if people want to uh, come see the show, you can always get tickets at chrisangel.com. If you want to donate to the charity, chrisangelhelp.com and chrisangel everything Instagram, Facebook X as they call it now the cool kids Uh, but listen man, uh, Kenny I want to thank you so much for being so gracious being so wonderful and I'm so grateful more than doing your show that I have a new friend thank you